This morning I declare to you that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead must be the object of our faith. For the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. This morning I declare to you that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is indispensable to our faith, our Christian faith. For the Bible says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and we are still in our sins. This morning I declare to you that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the defining difference between New Testament Christianity and all the religions that man has ever devised. And so this morning, I would like to make for us the case for faith in the resurrection. The case for faith in the resurrection. And gentlemen, if I can get those screens to project what's behind me, that would be helpful. It's often my practice to have us turn in our Bibles to a primary scripture text and then teach from that text in its context. However, this morning I'd like to approach our study in a different manner, a topical way this morning and present many different scripture texts to us in rapid fire, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I wanna flood us with scripture this morning as I make the case for faith in the resurrection. I'll do that by projecting scripture texts on the screen and we'll move quickly, but first let's go to the Lord in prayer. God in heaven above, we thank you so much for the risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that in the moments to follow now as we read the Holy Scripture text, that our faith will grow, and that you would encourage us and embolden us with the truth that Jesus is alive. Lord, perhaps there are some here this morning or under the sound of my voice that are not completely convinced of the truth of Jesus' resurrection. May your spirit take your word and pierce into their minds and their hearts and by your grace grant them the faith to believe unto salvation even this morning. For I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. How does one make the case for faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What evidence do we have to prove that Jesus rose from the dead? It was in Acts chapter number one that the apostle Luke wrote this. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. Luke's former account was the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He references the gospel of Luke. He says, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What were those infallible proofs of Jesus' resurrection? That is, are there proofs of the resurrection that are incapable of being wrong beyond dispute? like to offer you infallible proofs of Jesus' resurrection. I'll offer you seven. The first, letter A in your notes, if you're following what I've prepared and provided for you, the Roman guard, the Roman guard. Now, Matthew's gospel records how the, the religious leaders said to Pilate, they said this, sir, we remember when he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Therefore, 
Because of this threat, I command, or I'm sorry, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate says to them, you have a guard. You go your way. You make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. The, The Roman guard at the tomb is an evidence, an infallible proof to the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Historians and scholars tell us that the Roman guard was a 16-man unit that was a highly trained and highly disciplined special force in the Roman army. We might liken them to our Navy SEAL teams today. They were the special forces. And in that day, if if a prisoner under their guard would escape all of those soldiers would face certain execution. In fact, some have even suggested, reading the, the history and such, that if, a, if one guard member were to fall asleep while on watch, the entire guard would face execution. So any suggestion that Jesus' disciples could overpower the soldiers and steal the body is preposterous. On the contrary, the tomb was guarded by professional soldiers while the fearful disciples scattered and went into hiding. A second infallible proof of Jesus' resurrection, not only the Roman guard, but the tomb's stone. The tomb's stone. Now be careful to note, I did not say the tombstone, as in a grave marker. Rather, it is the stone's tomb. In that day, Jesus' tomb was sealed with a large boulder, a large stone. And I would offer you Mark's gospel accounts. Then he, that is Joseph of Arimathea, bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Now, wealthy, prominent people like Joseph of Arimathea were were, uh, created tombs for themselves designed to to be sealed with boulders as was the custom and and the, the boulders or those stones would prevent grave robbers or animals from disturbing the, the dead. After the Sabbath day, on the first day of the week, women went to adorn Jesus' body with spices as was the custom. However, they, the women knew that they could not move the stone Mark 16 says, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Of course, the critics' explanation or the skeptics' explanation, the unbelievers' explanation for this would be that the same ones who overpowered the Roman guard then moved the tomb's stone to provide access for the women into that that tomb. There's a third infallible proof, and that's the grave cloths, the grave cloths, letter C. Both, both Luke's gospel and John's gospel report on the grave cloths that were found in the tomb, and, and I'll give you John's personal eyewitness account in John chapter 20. It says, and he, that is John in this case, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in the tomb. Then Simon Peter came and following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. 
and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, that was John, as he's reporting, went in also, and he saw and believed. Now, to appreciate this, we must understand something about ancient burial practices. The Greeks and the Romans preferred cremation. The Egyptians embalmed their dead and then buried their dead with money and food and tools and such that they might need supposedly in the afterlife, but the Jewish practice was different. The Jews, according to John 19, did something different. John 19 says, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by nights, we remember that occasion in John chapter three, He also came with Joseph of Arimathea, that is, with a a fellow member of the Sanhedrin, the the owner of, of this tomb, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury so, so the practice is to wrap the body in these linen strips while mixing in the spices and then the head and the face were wrapped separately, perhaps something like a, a face cloth and, and turban. You might picture the, the image of a traditional mummy as, as we might be familiar, but if Jesus' body was stolen, the grave cloths would not have been removed and set aside, they would have been taken with the body as necessary to contain and counter the decay of the body. And yet there's a separation of the body from the linen cloths as it's discovered. Infallible proof, another one, number four, letter D. Of course, the empty tomb. Infallible proof of Jesus' resurrection is the empty tomb. And this is the most obvious. This is the the big one. The most literal proof of, of Jesus' resurrection is the empty tomb. In this case, I would point us to Luke's account in Luke 24. Luke 24, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. These are heavenly angelic beings. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Folks, critics and skeptics and unbelievers have argued that the the tomb was empty because the women, in their grief, went to the wrong tomb, you see. And to some degree, we could understand this possibility. We've all made the mistake of going to the wrong address. We've all made the mistake of getting lost in the sharp shopping mall parking lot looking for our car, could it be that the ladies went to the wrong tomb and found a different empty tomb? Well, let me remind us that this tomb was not the tomb of an obscure person. It was owned by a prominent, wealthy member of society, one of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea. The tomb was not in an obscure place, but rather it was in the garden near where Jesus was crucified. 
The death and burial of Jesus was the biggest event of the weekend and when the women arrived there at the empty tomb, they interacted with angelic beings, heavenly beings. Did those angels also go to the wrong tomb? You see? Of course, skeptics would then contend that the tomb was emptied because the body was stolen which we've already addressed that in these earlier infallible proofs, okay? I would then also answer it with this, the resurrection appearances. It's not a stolen body. It's not a a wrong-term, mistaken place of identity, but all in all, the New Testament records 12 separate appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. He appeared to individuals like Peter and Mary, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to larger groups. Paul wrote to the Corinthians here, 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep, some have died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Folks, for all of human history, the collaboration of eyewitnesses has been sufficient to establish facts. The resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ to these numerous people over the course of 40 days until he ascended up into heaven is proof positive. It is evidence, infallible proof of his resurrection, especially, especially when one considers the initial unbelief of the disciples. Now, this may be an infallible proof of the resurrection that you've never considered before. The Bible tells us that when the women reported to the disciples that they found the tomb empty, the disciples did not believe the women. In fact, they rejected the women's report as nonsense. Look at Luke 24 again with me. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. The disciples initially rejected the report, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping down. He saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. We could cite doubting Thomas. We could cite the the men on the road to Emmaus. The initial unbelief of the disciples is a great proof to me of the resurrection. They had to be convinced against their natural instincts, against their human reason and logic that Jesus rose from the dead. They were initially skeptics and critics and unbelievers. But then when they understood the miracle of miracles that had taken place as Jesus promised, and as they encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ, another proof of the resurrection was the radical change that took place in the lives of those same disciples. It was within just a few short weeks that they were boldly standing in the temple courts preaching that Jesus was alive, that he had risen from 
the dead. In Second Peter, I'm sorry, in Acts 2, Peter, Peter preached this. He said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And those same disciples turned the world upside down with their preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. I have offered you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, seven proofs, infallible proofs, perhaps as Luke calls them in Acts chapter one, proofs of the resurrection. But the goal of this discussion is not simply to prove the veracity of a historic event with evidences that will convince one's intellect. This isn't an academic matter. This isn't a historic matter. But rather, the case to be made is for personal faith in the resurrection of Jesus because of its power to do for us what it's done for all who believe. And that's what I'm calling the indescribable power of Jesus' resurrection, number two. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power to save. Paul wrote in Romans 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So number one, its power is for salvation. Now follow this with me. The Apostle Paul had spent the entirety of his adult life trying to earn his own righteousness by keeping the law. Saul of Tarsus, before he was named Paul. In fact, he was so zealous that he even persecuted the church of God. But yet he could not produce in himself sufficient righteousness to save himself. He was impotent in his good works because the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that every man is dead in trespasses and sins. Now, without being indelicate, dead men can't act. Dead men can't respond. The dead cannot achieve eternal life by good works. They are without power. They are without strength. They are impotent to save themselves because they're dead. That's why Paul wrote to the Philippians. He says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Folks, the power of Jesus' resurrection is the power that raises the dead like me and you. In fact, Paul would write to the Ephesians, God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together. 
Folks, that is resurrection language that we read there. The forgiveness of sin and the promise of everlasting life is ours because of the indescribable power of Jesus' resurrection when we accept the righteousness of of God by faith. Perhaps you're here this morning and have never confessed with your mouth Jesus Christ. You've never believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Today, Easter Sunday, 2023, ought to be the day when you are made alive in Christ by faith. And I would implore you to please seek me out after the service or or talk to one who's near you and, and ask, how can I know the power of Jesus' resurrection? How can I pass from death to life? How can I be forgiven of my sin and have everlasting, eternal life? The power, the indescribable power of Jesus' resurrection is is for salvation first, but there are many, and perhaps most, here this morning, you'd say, but pastor, I I am a born-again believer. I I believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Then I would declare to you, the Christian, I would declare to you that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that saved you from your sin, is the same power now that sanctifies you. Let her be. The indescribable power of Jesus' resurrection is for sanctification. Look with me at Romans chapter six. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united or since we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And folks, here Paul is describing the union that that, that a believer has in Christ as being crucified with Christ and being raised with Christ so that faith in the resurrection of Jesus doesn't only accomplish our salvation, it's efficacious for our sanctification. The power of Jesus' resurrection is the power to help us live a victorious Christian life today victorious over sin. We, we don't often think of that on Easter Sunday. Rather, we lament our impotence to walk in the spirit, to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and we're frustrated, we're exasperated. You might even confess, Pastor Matt, I, I just feel powerless in my life. Well, whose power are you leaning on? Your own flesh? No wonder But if you lean on and look to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, understanding your place and position with him, it's indescribable, the power we have to live for Christ. How about one last scripture? Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith and the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making request of you in my prayers, mention of you in my prayers, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power, I'm calling it the indescribable power of Jesus' resurrection, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So folks, our salvation and also our sanctification is empowered by the resurrection of Jesus. If Christ were not risen, our faith is futile. We are still in our sins. We are of all men most pitiable, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Folks, based upon the testimony of Holy Scripture that I've presented to you this morning, I declare to you that faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our only hope for life for death, for life everlasting. And I would ask you, do you believe this? I conclude with this final scripture. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. And that's what I want for each and every one of you this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the proofs of the resurrection to aid in our weak faith. Lord, in our flesh, we're skeptics, we're critics, we're unbelievers. But Lord, we're so thankful for the revelation of your Holy Spirit to give us assurances of the truth. May you Grant us the faith to believe. And Lord, for the power of the resurrection that saves us, that sanctifies us, I pray that we would not look to our own righteousness to be saved or sanctified, but to the power of Jesus who is risen, our only hope in life and death. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.